0: Good Sunday afternoon, and thank you so much for tuning in to Sunday Social. I'm Kelly.
1: No, I'm Thomas Third,
0: And we're here continuing our conversation with Darian Towner. Darian was on our show last week, and she's with the Citizen Potawatomi Nation, House of Hope, and that is their domestic violence program. Darian, thank you so much for being here this Sunday again.
2: Yes, hello, thank you.
0: Now, we were talking last week about um, different signs of abuse and things like that. Now, let's talk about stalking, because stalking is actually coming into the forefront. What's the definition of that? So
2: stalking is one of those things that depending on the jurisdiction, the state, the definitions kind of vary even in the legal system. There's still kind of a a variance there, but a good definition would be um, a course of conduct that's directed at a specific person um, that would cause that individual, that person to have um, a reasonable it would give them reasonable, um, give them reason to ha- to feel fearful, um, fearful of their life, fearful of being harmed, something like that. So,
0: some kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm. It's like I said, I'm still not clear. It's almost
1: like, um, is it? It's kind of individualized, sort of like if it makes the victim feel uncomfortable. Right. Is that kind of like where the line's drawn between i mean even like um between flirting and where it goes over the line to where it's unwanted mm-hmm. and Is that kind of where the line is drawn?
2: That's why the line's a little blurry, um, because it is such a broad definition, and again, it kind of changes depending on the jurisdiction, the area that you're in, who's interpreting the definition. Um, But if it's going to be something that would cause the majority of people to reasonably fear, feel fearful. Um, So a lot of times it's considered um, repetitive, unwanted attention is another good way to think about it. Um, So that could be in the form of texting, emailing, DMs. That could be in person. That could be through letters. That could even be secondhand of um, individuals keep running into people who kind of whisper threats under their breath or random people are coming up to them, delivering them threats. It can look like a variety of things, um, which I think is part of the reason why that definition is so broad.
0: So what do y'all tell people who are being stalked how do you tell them because that seems like it's pretty dangerous that's a a very scary thing because you know you see the cyber stalking Mm -hmm. and the creating of fake accounts and then the being able to follow you by your phone and gps and everything i mean technology has really helped the stalkers um that's given them a lot Mm -hmm. of tools so what do you tell um people who are being stalked how you tell them to protect themselves and what steps do they take
2: So one thing um, to keep in mind that we always remind individuals is that stalking and stalkers um, don't always and actually hardly ever look like how they're depicted in Hollywood movies or Lifetime movies. It's not always a stranger in a dark hooded um, jacket peeking in your window. That does happen. um, But like you were saying, a lot of the forms of stalking now do um, have a connection with technology, cyber stalking or things like that. And so um, there's a couple different things that we can do. Like I mentioned last time, we can safety plan with that individual. Um, and so if they are have, if they're experiencing stalking, depending on you know, that situation and who it is, how long it's been happening and things like that, we can help them to create a safety plan um, of you know, maybe can you take different routes to and from work Do you have a victim's protective order, a VPO? That's something that our program can kind of explain to individuals if they're unaware of what that is. Um, And if that individual chooses that that's something that they would like, we don't force them to ever get one. But if they choose that's something that they would like, an advocate will help them through that process of filing for a VPO. So if they have one and they're experiencing stalking, you know, we remind them, you know, keep a VPO in your purse, in your car, at your kid's daycare or school, you know, on you at all times. If you are ever fearful or if that individual ever does communicate with you and that VPO is in place, well, that's something that we can call the police over because that's a violation. So we remind them of their legal rights that they might have if they You know, Again, if they do have a VPO or something like that in place. Um, And I know individuals that are coming into shelter, something that we always remind them is, hey, if you're on social media, make sure your location services are off. Um, So make sure you're not tagging yourself. Even if you're not at a shelter and you're somewhere getting ice cream or at the movies, Let's not put our location on there, right, for your safety, keeping your safety in mind. Tell your friends not to tag you in pictures if you go and visit something, um, a museum in Oklahoma City or something like that. You know, let's not tag ourselves in pictures. Um, let's either not use social media or make sure we 100% know every individual that's on there. Um, going through our phones, there's apps now um, that can be disguised to not look like location. Um, device location service devices so we can kind of advise them on what to look like look look for that way Um, but we always kind of try to remind them too it is a lot but we just have to you know be proactive in thinking it's not something to necessarily feel overwhelmed and fearful from we just have to be proactive in thinking about things maybe a little bit more than we used to
1: now for people that aren't really familiar with victims protective orders Mm -hmm. how do you go about uh getting one and do you need any kind of proof of the stalking or do they need to be like screenshotting text messages or you know ims or whatever it is do do you need proof in order to get a a victim's protective order or can you just get it because you feel you know feel fearful
2: So it depends. There are different types of victim's protective orders. Um, So oftentimes when you file for one, um, oftentimes, not always, but you'll be granted one at least a temporary victim's protective order. And then typically the next step, um, that individual who... the abuser, the stalker, um, is given a copy of that victim's protective order. Um, So that fact is a fact um, that sometimes makes individuals not want to file for one, and that's why we don't always force individuals to, because when you file for a VPO, that abuser becomes aware of it. That's their legal right to become aware of that. And so on that, it shows what county you've asked for that VPO in, and so if the abuser doesn't know where you're at, that stalker didn't know you were in, that county now he does um so that's why we don't require people to get one but oftentimes after they have been granted one there will be a um they'll have to go to court over that, and that might might be where they need to have some of that evidence. So we do encourage individuals. I know sometimes it feels like really icky and you want to delete messages and phone calls and voicemails and DMs. You want to delete those immediately, uh, but we encourage individuals not to do that, not to reply, but to screenshot so we can print those out to have those types of things for evidence. Um, Because since there are different types of VPOs, there are um, um, more permanent ones that are kind of more longer based, and a lot of times that's one we're going for in a situation. So those types of things, screenshots, that evidence can only help you in that
0: situation. Now, do you encourage people to maybe forward that to a friend or maybe, you know what I mean, some trusted person that Story. says, hey, look at this, or even show it to somebody else to say, hey, this is what's happening to me. So if, you know, just just in case so you know, if something happens to me, these are the kinds of things that I'm getting or at least somebody else has a record of, of what's happening to you, you know. I think the most important thing is to tell somebody.
2: Right. Yes, it is. In any of the types of situations, you know, experiencing intimate partner violence, sexual assault, stalking, it's always a hard step. I think um, to want to tell someone for whatever reasons that individual has, um, but it is important to speak up about it and to do that. So, if an individual is has been going through the process and they're a client with us, um, they have an advocate who. Um, will help them in court, will provide court advocacy, Um, and that's not a legal representative, but it's someone to help them through that process. Again, help them with the VPO if that's what they decide they want. Help prepare them for court, what to expect, what to feel, what are we going to do if your abuser is in the room, you know, what are ways that we can kind of cope with that in the moment. Um, Situations like that, and in that case, that advocate would have copies of all those texts and things like that as well. So.
1: so what exactly is considered cyber stalking? I've heard the word, but I'm not completely sure. Like, is that you going and liking all of her pictures or like, you think know, it's
0: har- is it
2: harassing is it like
1: sending messages? Is it commenting? Is it?
2: So it could be any of those types of things. It's kind of like how the definition of just stalking is broad. It applies to that as well. But it's that willful, repeated intimidation to someone um, that would be reasonable enough things to cause someone fear. So you know, in this day and age, it can be just going and liking 300 posts on that person's Instagram or Facebook. You know, a lot of people, and I think um, I think still today, a lot of individuals have a hard time hearing that. You know, it's just someone liking your pictures, but oftentimes it's much more than that. And that can be an indicator of behaviors that are to come as well. So it could look like likes, comments, DMs. It could look like um, just constant friend requests from random accounts it could look like messages voicemails calling from different numbers constantly so you've blocked one number well he or she is just going to find another number to call and harass you from there's lots of ways unfortunately with technology that that can happen that cyber stalking can occur
0: If you have any questions about what we've been talking about today, or if you are the victim of domestic violence, stalking, sexual assault, and you need to talk to somebody, you can call the shelter emergency line at 405-878-HOPE. That's 405-878-HOPE. Four they are available 24-7. You can even go online to cpnhouseofhope.com. And um, they actually have a really ingenious um, introduction to their page that says, you know, to make sure that you're in a safe place before you use the internet. And they actually have a little escape button that uh, that can help you just in case your abuser or your stalker, um, is is right there. Now, one of the things I did want to talk about that we haven't really talked about is sexual assault and the different ways that a uh, CPN House of Hope helps uh, survivors of sexual assault.
2: So um, just like how we serve individuals who have experienced intimate partner violence and stalking, we serve those individuals of sexual assault the same type of way. And so if they're needing shelter as a result of that that's happened, um, then we can provide them shelter or services or whatever it might be that that particular individual is in need of um, because each each case is different. Each individual is unique. So we don't use the same exact approach for each individual that comes to us us. One thing, though, with sexual assault um, that I I do want to kind of talk about for a bit is that um, a lot of individuals have this wrong idea that they cannot be sexually assaulted or raped by their husband or by their boyfriend, uh, by anyone who they're in a relationship with, and that's absolutely false. You can be sexually assaulted, abused, raped by someone who you're in a relationship with, and that's one of those things that we've had individuals before tell us I I didn't think that it was wrong I didn't want to do that at the time but I thought it was just kind of my duty so I went along with it when he or she forced me and so that's something I always like to kind of clarify is hey that that's not okay in a relationship and it does happen in relationships as well
0: so where is the line you know I I go back to um you know, this this interview with Stormy Daniels, and she was talking about how, you know, her affair with Trump and everything, and well, no, he didn't rape me because I consented. And it's like, you know, where does that, I mean, you know, yeah, I consented, but no, I didn't want to. I mean, where is the line of assault of just where where you say no or where you refuse? Or you know what I mean? Yeah. Where Because I feel like when women report Um, rape and things like that, it often seems like their first adversaries are the police and the, the people that they're reporting it to. And it's like, they have to prove that I wasn't drinking. I wasn't being provocative. I wasn't wearing tight clothes. I, you know, and it's still that same kind of misogynistic view toward, toward, Survivors, victim mm-hmm. blaming. That's yes. right, and so and yeah, let's get into that. Let's talk about victim blaming and gaslighting. I mean, where does that first of all? What is gaslighting? Let's let's talk about gaslighting. What what is that?
2: So gaslighting is something that can occur in a relationship or between two individuals, um, where that one individual in the relationship, um, that abuser, is constantly trying to question that other individual's reality to the point where that that other individual their partner or or whoever it is in the relationship um again questions kind of what their own reality is questions their memories um questions their just kind of everything and it's it's repeated so an example of it could be um you know if it's a if it's a husband and a wife and the wife says you know I'd love to go out tonight you went out with the guys last night I'd love to go, you know, bowling maybe tonight, you know, since I didn't you didn't let me go last week. And he says, What are you talking about? I didn't let you go last week. I've never told you anything like that. And she says Well, yeah, the past couple times, you know, I've asked to maybe go out. You've told me I couldn't. I had to stay home. I would never tell you that. That's why people don't like hanging out with you because you do stuff like this to them all the time. So that's kind of an example of what gaslighting is. It makes you question your own reality, your own past, your memories. It makes you honestly feel like you're going crazy is a good kind of descriptor of it. Kind
1: of question your own mental health. Yes. yes. Mental capacity.
0: Yeah. And and it's like I said, so that actually does kind of fit into the reporting of sexual assault and kind of, well, are you sure that that happened that way? You know, kind of making women, especially women, um, kind of question their memory and kind of say, well, well, it really wasn't that bad. Or, you know what, he really did didn't tell me that I couldn't go out. He just suggested that I shouldn't Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And you kind of rationalize that in your head to where it's just like, okay, I didn't go out. And, and now all of a sudden, I'm wrong, because I I brought attention to that very just it's very intricate stuff mm-hmm. um if you want any information about the citizen Potawatomi nation house of hope they have a 24 7 emergency shelter line that number is 405-878-HOPE that's 405-878-4673
1: now um what do you guys do whenever you get secondary information from somebody like, say, somebody's sister comes to you and says, my sister's in this abusive relationship, you know, she's in denial, but... Or, you know, she needs help, but she doesn't want to ask for help. Is, is there anything that you can do, or does it have to be the victim that actually comes to you to get help? Because I know, like, with, with substance abuse, things like that, um, you can't really force people to go to rehab or, you know, force them to get help. They have to actually want the help for it to work. But is there, is there a way to have a kind of like an intervention
2: So in the field of domestic violence, one thing that we have to think about is the fact that we can't be the one to reach out necessarily because if we're calling that that phone number that maybe sister gave us and abuser answers the phone and we've said who we are and so now he thinks his wife or his whoever is out there seeking services, that could escalate that situation to, to a point where we don't want it to be. But we do have individuals from the community concerned family members friends things like that that do call us sometimes and what we can do is we can give them kind of a rundown of hey this is what we provide services that we provide and who we are what we can do to help Um, and then we can in a way help them um, we don't ever advise anyone or or tell anyone what to do or say because we believe that everyone should make their own decisions but we can give them some kind of tips on maybe how to bring it up how to bring up what's going on with their sister or friend or whoever to that individual. Um, and then we encourage them to tell them to, to just give them a call and, and see what they're about. So sometimes we do have individuals call that aren't comfortable with giving us their name quite yet. They just want to say, you know, hey, this is kind of the situation that I'm in. What do you guys do? What, can, what, what do y'all do in the community? So we get to kind of go through a run through of, these are the types of individuals that we get to help, that we can kind of help get on the right path to stand on their own feet, to create a life free of violence for themselves. And these are the the ways that we could help that person. Sometimes we get to find out who that person is and they they come to us to receive services. Sometimes we don't know if we ever hear from that person again. Um, But yeah, we as a program can't always reach out like that because we have safety of that individual at the forefront of our minds.
0: One of the things I wanted to talk about too, especially when we're talking about cases like this, because I really want our listeners to understand confidentiality and where you guys are on that, because I think a lot of survivors, that is the one bugaboo that really, really deters them from reporting anything is the, it's going to be in the paper. It's Mm going to be public, you know, and then everybody's going to know. And I get your, your tormentor has to know where he can't go, he he has to know. But on on that level, I mean, you know, we have we actually have a great program right here in Chickasha that it's a safe house, so nobody knows where uh-huh. it's at. Uh-huh. You know, and so that. That confidentiality. We we want to make sure that 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 the survivors know who contact you. That that their information is confidential. Yes.
2: Yeah. So um, with our shelter, we don't ever publicize our address of our shelter, so we never give that information out. So for individuals that are coming um, to shelter, that's the way that that I I want to say across the board, all domestic violence programs and shelters are um, with confidentiality. Is we're not going to give up that location because that's a safe place for us for you for for future individuals that are coming to us and with our program confidentiality is you know one of the the biggest things that we hold to Um, and so if someone's coming to us The only way that we would ever break that confidentiality is if, one, they've signed a confidentiality of release form and they've told us exactly who we can contact, a lawyer, a mother, um, an attorney, whoever it might be. If they've given us that exact permission of who we can contact and how we can contact them, if not and someone calls our number and says, hey, have you heard from so or, you know, is so-and-so a client of your program? a resident in your shelter, if we don't have that form signed, all we say is, I can't confirm or deny if I if I know that person or if they're a client, and that's for that individual's safety. And so the only reason we would ever tell anyone if someone was coming to us would be in a situation like that, or if we were fearful of, you know, if they were harming their self or someone else, or we became knowledgeable of something like that going on. But
1: And so <clears throat> you said, um, whenever we talked to you last week, You guys serve five counties. What were those counties again?
2: Yeah, those five counties for our um, community program are Pottawatomie, Seminole, Lincoln, Cleveland, and Oklahoma counties. And one thing I don't think I mentioned last time was that for our shelter, there is no set jurisdiction. um, So we can serve individuals from any county, um, from any state even. If an individual calls us and says, hey, this is the situation that I'm in. I'm fleeing my abuser. I've left him. I'm heading up north on 35 from Texas. You know, can I come to you guys' shelter? I found it on Google. If they fit that criteria of fleeing that situation and we have a bed open for them, then the answer is going to be absolutely yes. And what we do is we don't ever give out that location of shelter on the phone either for those residents' Um protection and so we meet them at a safe location typically a police department or something like that and then we we bring them or we we lead them into shelter so
1: now um do you allow the women to bring their kids with them to the shelter
2: yes so the way that our shelter is set up we have a room for singles so that's either women who are not mothers who are coming into our shelter or women who, who will be coming into shelter without their children for whatever reason. And then we have also family rooms, and those family rooms are for women who are bringing their children into shelter with them.
0: And how about pets?
2: <laughs> so we unfortunately, due to allergies and things like that, aren't allowed for pets to come unless we do make an exception for if they are a certified... Um,
1: Service. service service animal, animal. Yes. yes.
2: Couldn't think of the word. If they are a certified service animal, then they're more than welcome to bring that dog into shelter.
0: That is fantastic. I'm so pleased that this program is, is there helping the community. And it's right here in Oklahoma. So if you have any questions or want to know about anything that we have talked about over this week, last week, you can call 405-878-HOPE. That is the emergency shelter line now. If you want more information, you can go online, cpnhouseofhope.com. They have their non-emergency numbers listed on the website, so that way you don't want to tie up the emergency line with with just ways. Now, um, one of the things I did want to ask is, you know, Typically, programs like this usually are in need of some kind of resources like maybe soap or diapers or washcloths or things like that. Do y'all accept um, resources like that from the community and from the public?
2: that's something that we have. Yeah. Right now, um, where we're at, we're doing pretty good with the supplies that we need. We're grant funded a hundred percent. And so several of our grants are particularly written for things that we can buy for shelter for clients. Um, but that is something that, that brings up that I haven't said, um, our shelter provides everything you would need from day to day. Um, so your hygiene products, your towels, your bedding, your food, we provide food for residents to cook, themselves so that's something a lot of individuals on the phone when they call will say too is well I just need a few minutes to pack some bags and grab all my shower stuff and grab the kids diaper bag and we're like no absolutely not if you can get here safely now we have everything that you could imagine to need for you and your family for on a day-to-day basis in shelter so um, that's something that I hadn't uh, explained enough yet so I'm glad you brought that up. But you
1: you do accept donations though if Somebody wanted to donate to the program.
2: Yeah, you, we you al- we always ask, you know, that they they call us and let us know ahead of time because if it's a situation where they are wanting to donate diapers and if we're, you know, packed down on diapers, we might suggest another local place or another domestic violence um, program in the area who could use those more than us, but we'd always be willing to take that and either pass it on or use it ourselves at our program or shelter.
0: You know, that brings a really interesting point up about your network. And so if 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 a woman or a domestic abuse victim emergency in, a, in an emergency situation um, outside of your jurisdiction and they're closer, like, say, down here in southwest Oklahoma, you would have a network that says, hey... It, Lawton's a lot closer or Chickasha's a yes. lot closer or this is a place that you can call that way they can help you immediately
2: right yes we do and so if it's a crisis call or if someone's calling our phone or have stopped by and they explain that they're trying to relocate to this certain area of Oklahoma um, or even another state that's something that we'll do again we're not going to let them go without trying to at least give them other resources and so sometimes if they are calling and they say you know do, you know can we get into your shelter and when we find out where they are we say are you wanting to relocate to this area and they they might say you know no i'm looking for a bigger city so then we say oh well this might not be the place if you know if you need to get here for safety, that's our number one priority always is get them in a safe location. Um, but if, if they have a little bit of time, then we can connect them to resources in the bigger cities like Oklahoma City, Tulsa, areas like that. So we always, we have several good contacts across the state. And it, even if we don't, we work hard in those few minutes to find something and find resources for wherever they're at or wherever they're going.
1: Now, how do you help the victims transition from the shelter back into uh, wherever they're going, if they're moving to another city or if they're trying to go back home. How how has that transition um, worked out? (laughs)
2: It's been really good. We've had some um, really amazing stories come out since we've um, opened up our shelter, but it's one of those things that's different for everyone. So sometimes individuals come into our shelter, um, and we have an advocate in shelter who meets with them and helps them with resources and goals and things like that. Um, And sometimes one of their first goals is to secure a job. So that's something we'll work on first. Maybe that individual has a job, but they want to work on getting a car, so we'll work on ways that steps that they can take to do that if they have those and they want housing then you know we make up a plan of what what we can do what can we provide what can other resources in the area provide for you so you can get there so it's all about meeting those individuals where they're at and then saying you know what 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 is your number one need what can we do for you and then helping them see the steps to get there
0: And finally, one thing I I really want to ask you because I haven't is what do you what what, what's your best advice to give victims of, of abuse? What do you tell them right now?
2: So my advice to you, if you're listening, if someone's telling you about this, is that first of all, you're not alone. You might feel like you are. You might think that you are, but you're not. You're not alone. Um, There are programs all across the state, all across the country who are willing and who are waiting for you to call, who are waiting to just prepare that bed for you and get ready for you to come. We want to help you. Um, And we're not the only program that does, so even if you aren't in our area, there's someone out there um, and, and you're not alone and you're not deserving of any of the things that you're experiencing because you're worthy, you're valuable, and you deserve respect.
0: Darian, thank you so much. Our guest this week and last week has been Darian Towner. She's a prevention specialist with the Citizen Potawatomi Nation with the House of Hope, and that's their domestic violence program. It is a fantastic resource, and uh, we are so lucky that they um, are there and they have these services to offer. If you are in trouble, if you need help, call the emergency shelter, 405 405- 878 hope That's 405-878-4673. They're available 24-7. Or you can go online, cpnhouseofhope.com. And you can go on Facebook, CPN House of Hope. Any of those places, they'll be more than happy to give you the information that you need about the House of Hope. If you need resources, if you need to leave, call them. Darian, thank you so much for coming in these last couple of weeks and sharing this information. I hope you'll come back soon and and give us more insight about how we can help the women and our survivors in our community. Thank you. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a great day.